So I have a little thing there in front of you. To get us started, there's a little box. It says, write out different ways people might identify you. Okay? Such as athlete, sister, brother, student, employee, Christian, Platonist. Does anybody know what a Platonist is? I figured I'd throw that one in there. Yeah. Philosophical system. It's a Platonist person who buys into Plato's system of thought. Um, a Marvel movie lover. Um, musician, whatever. Write out some of those. Write out some of those. Take take a couple seconds. 30 seconds. Maybe a minute. Think about it. How, how do you identify yourself? How do people identify you? What are the hats you wear in life? Think about it. Right, the second thing I want you to do is once you've gotten about maybe seven or eight, uh, prioritize. So say like, and what I mean is like obviously not all the time are you this number one. So if, if number one is musician, you know, you're not a musician all the time. For example, I don't know, when you go to the dentist, you're a patient first versus a musician. So I understand that your, you know, your identities are who you who you what you kind of take on as primary changes. But typically, how would you identify yourself? And just, I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. This is not an exact science. This is kind of just something, to, a thought experiment to get us going here. Huh. Alliance isn't. Do when your PowerPoint's completely frozen? Pray. 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 Oh! Yeah, it was doing that earlier on us. Okay. Let's try this down here. Let's try this again. There we go. Um, title for today is What's Below the Surface. Um, right out of different ways people might say, okay, once you've written them out, rank which identities might take precedence over the others. That's kind of what I said to do. Um, this isn't a trick question, but this isn't a, um, I should say, this isn't a gotcha question. But did you put, like, disciple or follower of Jesus on there anywhere? And if so, how high did you rank it? Don't have to answer that. But, you know, for some people, they consider themselves a disciple of Christ, but there's also a lot of other stuff going on. And so they don't, that's not their primary way to identify themselves. And uh, I'm not saying one thing is right and one thing's wrong. I'm just kind of getting you to think about this. My question today is, um, oops, I jumped ahead. What makes someone a real disciple? Okay, the title of Bible study is Real Discipleship. We've talked about that this whole semester. But what does it mean to be a disciple? Do you declare yourself a disciple like you just, like you just did on, on your sheet? Like say you say, oh, I wrote disciple and I'm number one. That's my number one identifier. So now does that make you a disciple of Jesus? What exactly is it that, um, is, is every Christian a disciple no matter what? Uh, and the answer to that, of course, is, is no. So what I have here is the key to discipleship is action. And a true disciple is the one who obeys Jesus. We're going to see that today 
I think, pretty clearly. So, um, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke 6. We're still kind of in Luke 6, working our way through. We're going to jump ahead a little bit to Luke 9 today as well. But in Luke 6, I need somebody to read for us verses 46 through 49. So 46 through the end of the chapter. Who will take it upon themselves to do that? Okay, Jacob? Uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell. All right, so let's look right off the bat. Um, question that Jesus gives them. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? What does Lord mean? King. king. Yeah. And more generally speaking, not just a king. It could be just a general. Someone who has authority. Someone who has authority. We would use the word master. Okay? So like a slave and master. So... Why do you call me Lord, Lord? It means master, master. Why did Jesus is saying, why do you call me master? Um, and you don't do what I'm saying, telling you to do. Why, why, why do you call me master if you're not letting me be your master? And that's a really provoking question. And that's my daughter back there. Making noises. Uh, if he's really your master, not only should your words reflect it, not only should you say, Lord, Lord, so should your behavior. Um, so if you claim to follow Jesus, your actions should be consistent with Jesus' commands. This is stuff we've talked about the entire semester. Let's look at um, this picture of a, of a faithful disciple. What we're going to do is um, we are going to break up into groups in just a second after we cover this first little section and cover the questions I've given you. I've given you three questions or so there for this first section and a few for the second. Right? Does anybody have an extra sheet I can borrow to make sure I'm looking at what you're looking at? I should do this every week, but I keep forgetting. Thank you. So the first three questions, and then we have two, and then three on the back for the second group. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover this first section. What does a picture of a faithful disciple look like? And I think this is what Jesus is saying. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Master, Master, and, and not do what I say? So here's the picture. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts, and acts on them, I will show you who he is like. See, the one who comes to me hears and acts. That's what I was talking about, the action and the words. You see that? I will show him what he is like. He's like a man who building a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house, and it could not shake it. Because it's well been well built, the faithful disciple first comes to Jesus. Okay, so here's our here's our little uh, fill in the blank part. The faithful disciple is one who comes to Jesus, and that's not one of those come to Jesus moments. Did you hear people say? Have you ever heard somebody say that? We're gonna have a come to Jesus moment. This is someone who who makes an effort to seek out the Lord. All right, because it says there, he comes to me, and hears my words and acts on them. You can't overlook that. Okay. Um, he hears. He hears the word. This is super basic, but it's super important. And what do you think the last one is? Acts. 
There you go. You guys are getting it. He acts on his words. So the faithful disciple is one. It's very simple, but again, it, it is very is very difficult because as people who are uh, creatures of habit and creatures of our own lusts and creatures of our own desires, we don't like to obey someone else. We like to live by our own desires. In fact, we were talking beforehand about a certain roommate who shall remain nameless, who um, is is a terror from the pit of somewhere, and. Uh, and is living and is living her life apparently, um, to for, by her own desires and completely selfishly. Is that fair? As Christians, that ought not to be said of us. You know, it, it, it's not. I mean, I'm, not, you may say, "Oh, of course, Marshall. This is so basic." Think about how often we just basically do what we want to do. Just think about it. What do you feel like doing today? I feel like doing this. We'll do it. How often do you really submit to Jesus when it comes to the basic things about how you live your life? I mean, it is, it's mind-boggling when we start to actually break down our lives and think about all the things we do without consulting Jesus, without even thinking about it. So here's our that's our first group. We have the uh, questions for you to cover. Here's the questions this group over here is going to cover. Okay, What does the house represent? What does the rock represent? <coughs> what benefit does the rock provide? What benefit might a spiritual rock provide? Why might people call Jesus Lord, Lord, all the while never intending to be obedient to him? Okay, those are the questions. They're all written there. You're going you're gonna, to uh, circle up in a second and talk about this. Second group. Let's look at the picture of the unfaithful disciple. Okay? Uh, and then we'll, we'll break up and have you discuss these things. Look at, look at what happens to the unfaithful disciple. The one who has heard and has not acted accordingly. So what, what happens with this person? They hear the truth. What do they do? They choose to what? Choose to disobey or just not act in accordance with what God has said. It's like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. Um, and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of the house was great. I'm thinking about what you guys were talking about with the uh, uh, Lumberton um, and the flooding and everything. I mean, what a picture of the floods. Can you imagine if they had no foundation whatsoever? They just get swept along like a, like a tumbleweed. Um, the unfaithful disciple. What's the difference between this person and the last one? What is the main difference? What is the result of the person who makes this error? And uh, then we'll go into this passage as we get the opportunity. So let's break up into our groups and uh, just talk some talk amongst yourself. It shouldn't take that long to come up with the answers to these questions. And uh, we will reconvene in about, uh, let's say, six or seven minutes and uh, discuss the answers to these questions and move on because we have more to cover as we get the opportunity. So this group... You're the, you're the righteous, and you, you guys are the unrighteous. You got it? All right, let's go. All right, we're going to pick up and continue where we left off here. Uh, let's go back and talk to our people looking at the faithful disciple. What does the house represent here in this passage? We talk about everyone who comes to me, here's my words, acts on them. He's like a man who building a house who dug deep. Laid a foundation on the rock, and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. First question is, what does the house represent? What does the rock represent? What did you guys come up with? What does the house represent? Man building a house. A person's life and how they like, live that life and how we see it. Yeah, it's your life, right? Here, who, who's doing the building? Is Jesus doing the building? Well, not really. You, I mean, you are building the house. 
It's not saying God gave you the house. It's saying you're building the house in your life. You are building a house. You are building something. You're building your your whole uh, your whole life here. Uh, this house. Okay. So what's the uh, what was the other thing I asked here? Um, what does the rock represent? Lay the foundation on the rock. <coughs> what's that? Okay. He laid the foundation on the rock. So this is your foundation. Are you speaking metaphorically or literally? So your personal basis for living, your your personal what? I know you're saying foundation, but that's a that's a picture. Okay. Yeah. We're still using lots of metaphor language. That's good, though. That's good. So your beliefs about God. Um, How about just God himself? Because the reason I I say that is I gave you a verse in the Old Testament. Um, Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield on the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Look at all these words that reference this idea of strength and solidness. If that's a word, solidity, I don't know. Strength. Lord is my rock, my fortress. He is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield on the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Okay? Jesus, or God, is my strong place. This is not something that moves. How many of you have ever seen tumbleweed before? Okay, I was talking to somebody that said they were out west, and they were in a in a um, airport up on like the second story of this building or third story, and tumbleweed blew by. They're like, I'm like in a building, three stories up, and there's tumbleweed. How did that get there? I forgot who was telling me that. It was making me laugh. Um, that tumbleweed has no root, no foundation, no so- nothing solid about it at all. It just blows around with the wind. Okay? But a rock, something solid, will not move no matter what... Well, what comes up against it? So we were in Nova Scotia uh, a couple summers ago and went over to Peggy's Cove, which if you're looking out at that desk over there, they have this wallpaper that cycles through, you know, this wallpaper. And one of them is a lighthouse. It's Peggy's Cove, which is where we went and visited a couple summers ago with the youth group at Harvest. And uh, they had these gigantic rocks that were left by glaciers or carved up by glaciers. And the, and the water's coming hit against them. Those rocks aren't moving. Now, if you get on the rocks and you get swept away by the water, you will move. Because your feet can't stay put, but the rocks themselves are solid. So that's kind of what I, where I kind of say is, what are you building your life on, right? Um, lay the foundation on the rock. What is your life built on? Is built on Jesus. Okay. What's the next question? What benefit does the rock provide in the story, in the picture? Group one. Genesis, stability and hope. Stability and hope. That's interesting. Why hope? Well, we were talking, Amanda made a really good point in that your foundation isn't as crucial when there's not a storm. Yes. And I never thought about that way. And I, I was thinking, <coughs> storms come, though, and you know that your foundation is secure. 
versus if your foundation is not secure or it's just unknown, you don't have a lot of hope. There's a lot of insecurity. That was a very good point, and that is that you don't feel the need for the rock until the tempest comes. And uh, Jen and I used to live in a house that was a lot smaller than the house we live in now, and it was one of those um, houses that is like, it, it, it was on a slab, but I don't know what it was about it. It was that it's tall and thin. It made us feel like it was going to get knocked over. Like, we would sit in bed sometimes. These big howlers would come through. And we were like, just pray your house doesn't fall over. Because <laughs> it, it, it felt cheaply made. I don't think it was. In retrospect, I think it was fine. We ended up selling the house. Now they have to deal with it, you know. But there was that feeling of, you know, this doesn't feel very solid. Well, it wasn't a very old house, so we didn't know if it would stand up. That's true, yeah. But that's a really good point y'all make that that you know you need this rock when the flood comes. And what are you building on? Are you anchoring into something that will not move? Um, last, why might people call Jesus Lord, Lord, all the while never intending to be obedient to him? Why do you think? Um, one, of the reasons, one of the things that I put being very honest is sometimes I live in an attitude like that uh, just to get my parents off my back. Um, okay. Being a college student at home. Um, yeah. uh, it just, I mean, it just to put it really well, like I said, just to yeah. get them off my back. Yeah, I'll go to church. I'll, I'll do the thing. I'll wear the nice clothes and and sing the songs or whatever. Go to Cross Impact. Yes, Mom, went to Bible study. <laughs> what? Or to keep your own guilt at bay. So not, once you're out from your parents, maybe there's that guilt uh, that hangs around your heart, and you're like, "Okay, if I, I got to check it off a checklist. If I, if I go to church, I'm okay. If I, if I read my Bible, if I at least open it, doesn't matter how much I get out of it, I'm okay." It's a very legalistic way of looking at things, but but yeah, it's easy. Very true. All right. So let's. Any other comments or questions on this first part? Before we move over to our, our wicked people over here. Our, the wicked. Alright, let's skip through here to find our passage here. The unfaithful disciple. The one who has heard. Notice, it's not that they haven't heard. It's that they have heard. But they chose not to act. Act accordingly. It's like the man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it. And immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Okay, question one. What is the difference between this person and the last one? Where there's a, a lack of foundation which equals the vulnerability. Okay, lack of foundation. Uh, it says it here without any foundation. But um, it's it, what is this is the this is the picture here. But what is the person actually doing that makes them like having no foundation? Not acting according. Yeah. To the Not acting. Now let me ask you something. This is uh, this is just an honest question. Normally we think of foundations. We think of um, like knowledge. Or understanding. We think of that's a good foundation to have. You realize that what they're saying, what Jesus is saying is the foundation is actually living out. If you don't have a foundation, it's you're, 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 you're not actually building it in Christ. You're not building your world. If you listen and don't obey, you're not really building your life into Jesus. You're not taking advantage of that rock. Um, you can be building on a rock, you can, but you're not you're not in it. You're just on the ground. 
No foundation. It's deep. Um, keep going. What's the next? What else did you? Anything else you wanted to mention that other differences? Okay. So what's the result? Well, the person who makes it say, "Oh, look at this." I'm sorry, honey. I'm what is the result? What's the result of the person who makes this error? This is too distracting. Everyone's just smiling and looking at her. You just see your faces. All of you are like, oh. Today, okay, so today I came home and I went upstairs and she was all the way downstairs and I was in my room and all of a sudden I heard this little noise, this little pitter patter of feet and hands. And she had found me. She had crawled all the way through the house by herself and had found me. And when she saw me, she got real excited and ran. So she, she loves her daddy. What is the result of the person who makes this error? No stability. Okay, no stability. It's more than that, though. Failure. Um, is it easier to do the first or the second? Is it easier to build your house with a foundation or build it on the... Like a studio set. Like, have you ever been to a movie set and seen the, the front of those houses? They look so real. But they're just, like, standing up with with really plastic, you know, kind of looking things. They don't really have anything holding them in. It's easier to do that. It's a lot cheaper. But to be a disciple, it's not going to be cheap. Okay? Um, let's look, everybody, if you have your Bible, turn to James 1. Because I think I want to spend a few minutes here and then the next. I think this is... Super important. Um, James 1 is flipping your sheet over. It's, it's right there. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn there. James chapter 1. We talked about this a little bit last year. Um, this is very similar to what Jesus is saying about the uh, foundation. Prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it or lives by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So I have some questions. Number one, according to this passage, what is the difference between a disciple and a non-disciple? Action, yeah. Um, what is, I think I have it here as a question. What did indict, oh, so let, me, let me finish what you were saying. Uh, so a hearer versus a doer. Okay, so here's your hearer and here's your doer. Are you one who just listens? And, and you even acknowledge, like, yeah, okay, that's good. I, I agree with that. Should not lie. Don't lie. But then you go and you're tempted to lie, so what do you do? You lie. You um, should not steal. Good. I'm agreeing with that. But you go and you steal. Or you, you cheat on a test, which is the same thing as stealing. Yeah. The, the, what indictment does James level against the person who sees the fault but does nothing about it? Look at this picture. Or before the picture, what does it say about the person? At the end of verse 22. I'm sorry, end of verse 22. Yeah, look at this. This is, you're, you are deluding yourself, deceiving yourself. You are fooling yourself. 
And the picture is hilarious. He says, you go and you look at your natural face. His natural face is a good way of saying like your morning face. Okay? First thing in the morning, you crawl out of bed. You don't want anybody to see you like that. That's why you go look in the mirror. And you look in the mirror and you notice you have a gigantic pimple in the middle of your forehead. Or you have that booger hanging out of your nose or whatever it is. That gross thing about your face that you want to fix. But the picture is this. If you are a foolish person who is a hearer and not a doer, you're seeing the problem and you choose to ignore it. Okay, do you see it? Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And what is the mirror in this picture, in this story? Okay. Be a little bit more specific. Think about it. Whoever looks intently. Conviction? Okay. You receive conviction from the Holy Spirit when what happens? Think about it. Look at verse 25. Yeah, it's the word of God. You see that? Underline this. Whoever looks intently at the perfect law. Okay? So we have the looking at himself in the mirror. Where is that? Uh, I can't see it. Looking at his natural face in the mirror. And the mirror is the same as the law. What does a mirror do? Shows a reflection of who you are. Do you ever blame the mirror? Are you one of those people who blames the scale or blames the mirror? <laughs> Stupid mirror. I'm a whole lot better looking than that. Yeah. Are we going to those circus mirrors? No, okay, that's true. The interesting thing is that it's not called a circus mirror. It's a perfect law. We're talking about the perfect mirror. It shows every detail, every imperfection. You don't, you don't look at the mirror and you say, oh, stupid mirror. I'm not that ugly. I look good. <coughs> I don't need to do anything with my hair. It's terrific. <laughs> I can't imagine. I look at Cody and his amazing hair, and I can't imagine waking up in the morning. I bet that's just... Of course, he probably just shakes his head like a dog, and it just falls into perfect place, doesn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> My goal when I was in college was to, was to have such short hair that I could take a nap and wake up, and no one would know. That was my goal. And for the longest time I did, in fact, uh, I, used to do, I used to play sports, and so I, sh- I shaved my head, um, like really short, like to um, the number one, all the way down. I was like a buzz, like a short, short buzz. And um, I would only do it, play sports. Well, my senior year, I decided to play intramural soccer. And so I shaved my head, and then I looked at my calendar, and I was, uh, the next day, supposed to go take my senior picture. So my senior picture in my yearbook, full color, with a suit on, is me in my white head because it was so un, untanned. It's the ugliest picture I've ever seen of myself. I was like, what was I thinking? At least it wasn't your wedding. Well, that's even worse because I had eye surgery a month before my wedding and I had blood in my eyes during my wedding. All my wedding pictures had to be doctor because I had blood. Because I had LASIK. I had like blood all in my eyes. It was gross. Terrible. Don't ever get LASIK like right before you're getting ready to do something. It's not, not smart. So back to the... She did marry me. Isn't that a miracle? Yeah, it's still a miracle. The perfect law, which is God's word, perfectly exposes who we are when we read it and are honest. Okay? If you think that you got no problems and you're pretty good and everything's good, have you spent time in God's word reading and being honest? Because God's word will convict us. And our responsibility as a real disciple is to act on that conviction. 
Um, so what results follow those who walk as a true disciple of Jesus? Was there a question? I'm sorry. No question, right? Okay, you're good. What results follow the true disciple of Jesus? Yeah, there it is. And there's a reason I included this. This is the same word. I don't know if you guys remember, but when we started this passage a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 6, um, he starts by saying, Blessed are um, blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. These are the Beatitudes, the blessings. How are you blessed? How are you happy? Where do you get that from? From? Yeah. While reading, you've got to be in God's word. And this is the, when I talk to Christian college students over and over again, what I find 99 times out of 100 is they say, well, my walk with God is okay, or it's not great, or it's above average, whatever they tell me. How much time are you spending in God's word, reading, meditating? Not much. Occasionally a verse here or there, I might read Daily Bread or whatever. But unless you're exposing yourself to God's word as a disciple, how are we going to know what to do? You can't just follow your gut. It's not like the Disney songs, follow your heart, you know. Um, so here are the questions. Um and we have five minutes, so I want to talk about what Jesus says about discipleship. Unless there are qu- any questions about this. Uh, oh, the key to being a real disciple of Jesus is not pretending to have it all together. I should have put this up on the thing. I'm sorry. Let's see if I can find it in my notes here. The key, to, the, the key to being a real disciple of Christ isn't pretending to have it all together. Being a real disciple of Jesus is about being honest about where you fall short with God and submitting to his way of doing things. If I could just get people to be honest with themselves and quit pretending like you got stuff together, it would be huge. If you could just be honest and say, look, I don't do this well. I need God's help. I need to be obedient where I'm disobedient. I am disobedient in this area. Then you could start making changes. If, if, if your whole life you're pretending like everything's good, you're not going to make great strides in your Christian walk. Um, it's the same with all of us. And all of us like to pretend like we're a lot better than we are. So let's talk about this one passage and I think... We'll be done. I have several questions there. I don't know if we have time. Um, I kind of just wrote these out. I didn't know if we'd have time to get to this or not, but I do think it's important for us to make it to this point. And that is in Luke chapter 9. So we're back in Luke. If you have your Bible, Luke 9, 23. Um, so it's a few chapters over, but not far away. This is really was one of the cornerstone uh, passages as I was thinking, meditating on this book for our, for our group this fall. It says this, Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he doesn't mean to, to like come after me, to, to like uh, after I leave or something. He means to follow, to, 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 to be a one who's a follower. He must do what? Deny himself. Ooh. Deny himself. What else? Take up his cross daily and, and follow. So how do you follow Jesus? Number one, you deny yourself. Remember at the beginning I had you write out what you identify yourself as? Like, what are your identifiers? What do you, what do you think people think of you when they see you? Athlete, you know, somebody put like model, uh, you know, perfect, uh, musician, whatever. 
Are you willing to sacrifice that for Jesus? Are you willing to uh, deny yourself? It's hard to deny yourself. I mean, um, today I was at, uh, at work and uh, somebody had left some Chick-fil-A in the fridge at church. They left a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a, and a, and a thing of um, salad. And I looked at that for like, it was there yesterday. And it was there today. And I thought, somebody's eventually going to throw this away. I've got to do something about this. So I took it out. And I looked at it and I said, you know what? This salad looks terrific. And I could not, like, stop myself. I know it sounds terrible to can't stop yourself eating salad. That sounds stupid. But seriously, it looks so good. I'd already had dinner. I didn't care. I took that salad dressing. It was Chick-fil-A. So I put it all over my salad and I sat there and ate it. And, I was so, and, then, and then I was sitting there finishing up some stuff. And I hear the door open. And it was Joe from church. He goes, hey, I'm Marshall. How are you doing? I said, good. I said, what are you doing? He was like, I'm here to pick up something I left in the fridge. I said, oh, no. I said, what is that? You're... He's like, yeah, no, it's cool. And he was all fine about it. I was like, I'm so sorry. I just couldn't stand it. It had been there for like a day. And I was like, well, if somebody doesn't eat it, it's going to get thrown away. And I got I got I At least I didn't eat the sandwich. You know, I was tempted. I did. You know, it's hard. It is hard to deny yourself. When there's like something sitting there, like, or we got my, my wife's sisters. Come, my wife's sisters come into town. You know what they do when they come into town? They buy Oreos. And they put them in our, in our, in our pantry. They buy Oreos every time they come in town. You know how hard it is to not eat like four Oreos every meal? Like after every meal, I'm like, oh, I gotta have at least a few Oreos. I go over there, I'm like, I'm like packing in like a stack like that big, and my son's like, Daddy, can I? Sure, you can have an Oreo. You can have. Everyone has Oreos, you know. Let me just have an Oreo. And I get a big jar of milk, and I'm sitting there popping these Oreos. Like, who cares? I'm in calories. This is amazing, you know. Like Oreos. Yeah, like how she is like all about. I love bread. Have you seen that commercial? I'm like, I love Oreos. Like that's my thing. So I'm sitting there. I can't deny myself Oreos. How, that is so hard. Jesus says, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you've got to learn. You've got to dis- discipline yourself to deny yourself. Because there are going to be things you want that are not best. And he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus took up his cross, he took up the hard things. He bore it on his back. Daily. Follow. This is not something that happens one time. That's what I've been saying over and over again. It's a decision that is daily following Jesus. Real discipleship is daily following. And in this verse right here, whoever wishes to what? Save his life will what? Lose it. And whoever, whoever, whoever what? Loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. What is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses it or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father, and the holy angels. This idea here of whoever wishes to save your life. If you, if you are constantly trying to make your life your best life now, you are going to, you're not going to know Jesus as a disciple of Christ. You've got to be willing to put it all at his feet and say, I'm willing to sacrifice everything, whatever it means to follow Jesus, whatever it means to be obedient, whether that means I give up my Friday nights with my friends, whether that means I pursue a different career, whether that means I cut off that friendship with that boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, whatever it is. You, you lay it all at Jesus' feet. Say, Jesus, if you call me to do it, I will do it. And being a radical disciple of Jesus means you, you, you agree to obey before you know what he says you've got to do. You come in, and it's not like you're a negotiating table with God. You're like, all right, God, you tell me what you want me to do. 
I'll tell you what I'm willing to do. And we meet somewhere in the middle. You come to Jesus, you say, I'm willing to give you all. And then he, then he can use you. Um, so some concluding thoughts and we're done. Um, <coughs> we started with the question, what's under the surface? The question remains, what drives you? Are you building your house on a solid foundation, doing things the hard way or obedience, or without any foundation? Are you living your life pragmatically, like whatever works? How does denying yourself and taking up your cross change how you see your multiple identities? I don't mean that as a multiple identity personality disorder. I mean, in the way you live your life, are there things you need to be willing to give up? And what are you willing to sacrifice? Because in the end, it's about submitting to God in all. Discipleship is about this continual submission God, whatever you want, I'll obey. Whatever you want, I'll obey. Even when it's hard, I'll obey. Even when it seems impossible, I'll obey. Any questions? I appreciate your good attention tonight and good participation. Um, y'all have fall break this weekend, right? Yes. yes. We are meeting next Tuesday, so you'll be back. I hope you're able to make it out. And... Uh, we uh, look forward to having you. And again, if you're, if any of you are able to give a testimony next Wednesday, let me know. I'd love to uh, work you in. It's at three thirty at the church. Over, at, we can even get you a ride there if you need it. We just need a couple people to kind of uh, share what God's been teaching you, and uh, that would be very, very helpful. Well, let's close with the word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your the solid rock that you've given us uh, of your truth. Help us to. Uh, build our life on you versus on the world or on our own ideas about things and and, uh, keep us from making foolish decisions. Thank you for the friendships we've made here, and I pray you continue to bless uh, this week. I pray you'd bless the um, Wilds trip that's coming up very soon, and I pray that you'd help all these students as they have a lot of tests and pressures on them that they would uh, submit to you and be willing to lay that all at your feet and um, cast all their cares upon you because they know you care for them. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Stick around and uh, as long as you want. Grab some snacks.